0: This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, the Orleans Parish School Board unanimously approved a lucrative contract for the newly selected superintendent. A federal judge threatened city officials with a contempt of court citation if they continue to delay the building process of the jail facility known as Phase Three. And the Mayor's Smart Cities project continues to grab headlines as City Council pushes for more details on the controversial project. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, education reporter Marta Jusen. Hi, Marta. Hi, Carolyn. Criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel. Hey, Nick. Morning, Carolyn. Government and cultural economy reporter Michael Isaac Stein. Hello, Michael. Good morning. And Lens editor Charles Maldonado. Hey, Charles. Morning. Marta, first up on your beat, this week the Orleans Parish School Board voted on a draft contract for the incoming superintendent, Avis Williams. Tell us about the contract.
1: Yeah, so she's been offered, um, obviously the highest salary that anyone's ever been offered as superintendent here, which is $300,000. Also not to be unexpected as our last superintendent was hired several years ago. It it also has a pretty nice, um, you know, relocation bonus or. Um, reimbursement, I guess, not bonus um, for twelve thousand dollars, and up to seventy five hundred dollars for um, temporary rentals.
0: And as you said, it, it's been a while since Superintendent Lewis had his contract negotiated. But it's a pretty big bump, or not? What what was his What was his salary?
1: It's kind of a yes and no. His contract was for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but. With bonuses and other, um, you know, cost of living increases, he was making more in the 280 290 range.
0: Okay. And how's that compared to her current job?
1: Um, she's working, uh, she's superintendent of Selma City Schools, where she makes about $150,000. Um, and that, you know, comparison-wise, that district uh, only runs about 10 schools. But I think what you can probably guess is that You know, any district that is more of a traditional format, which this one is, um, you're going to see that type of salary. So, not unsurprising there at all.
0: Okay. And how does this compare to other similar charter networks? If you if you know,
1: yeah. So, um, I mean, there are several charter school leaders here that make definitely over 150, even if they only run one school. Other charter, a couple, handful make over 200 and C- then
2: Kathy Rydlinger was making in the 250 range wasn't she
1: Right and that is I'm not even sure if that included like reimbursements or you know like a car or anything Right So there are a lot of charter leaders who make plenty of administrative money
0: hmm.
1: Yeah I think this state, I think this
2: is a bit more than the state superintendent too which I think I want to say is in the 280 to 290 range salary
1: Yeah, you're right. Um, the, uh, com pointed that out the other day, Charles, I was actually thinking about that in terms of like, and this is not necessarily the same thing, but like, you know, the mayor of new Orleans was capped at a certain salary and the deputy mayor is making more. Right. It was kind of a bizarre thing. Uh, Sure.
0: Right. And what other incentives are there? Does she, is she able to earn more than even the base salary?
1: Yeah, so they've given her kind of four areas of um, for performance metric incentives, um, which are facilities, finance, accountability, and truancy. And within those areas, she has specific goals, potential to attain. And if she meets those goals, each area could be up to $5,000.
0: And she would begin in when?
1: Uh, Mid-July, but within her contract, they do obviously, you know, realize that it is helpful to overlap somewhat with the current superintendent. So you kind of get that leadership transition. So she does have up to 20 contracted days um, to where she could work before her start date on July 11th.
0: Does this number raise eyebrows at all? Or is this just pretty standard bump from the last superintendent?
2: Honestly, you know, knowing what Henderson Lewis was making, I, I personally kind of expected something in this range, but I, I, I think any, you know, big six figure salary in education is always going to raise eyebrows because of Louisiana teacher pay, um, you know, Louisiana teacher pay on average is is, you know, some of the is among the lowest in in the region, um, which means it's among the lowest in the country. So, yes, I do expect that not everybody, uh, not everybody likes this, this big salary. Um, you know, every time we have a superintendent contract renegotiation, people bring up that same point, I, which is not to say it's not a valid point. But yeah, I, 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 I do think it will raise some eyebrows. But I don't, I don't think in terms of people's expectations who were aware of what Lewis was getting paid, I don't think it surprised people who, were, who, who, who knew about Lewis's current contract
1: and i definitely agree with charles there like if you were keen on the numbers this this would not be a surprise um i do think where people might have some questions is you know you're coming into a completely decentralized district so you don't actually run any schools and you have a lot fewer employees than someone who you know would typically manage a 44,000 student school district would have um so i think that's where you, you could see some tension, but, um, mm. you know, obviously you still set policy and do a lot of things that control those schools, it just is a lot different than a traditional school district.
0: Right, okay. All right, well, thanks, Marta. Thank you. Nick, in another follow-up story for the week, phase three once again in the news right now, and the latest bit of the saga is a, a federal judge threatened contempt charges against the city of New Orleans. What did that judge say?
3: So the judge and and other parties to this uh, federal consent decree in which this this argument over phase three is taking place have been consistently frustrated with the city for what they say are unnecessary delays in building this jail facility called phase three, uh, which would be used to house detainees that have serious uh, mental health issues and also contain an infirmary. So this has been a building a building issue. The judge and city have been trying to get answers about why the city has been pushing back its timeline. One of the reasons the city gave most recently uh, was that FEMA. They, they said that FEMA had ordered them to open up a public engagement process that they had previously thought was was completed already. But they told they told the judge that FEMA had had required them to to reopen it, have, hold more public meetings, and sort of re-engage these various local and federal agencies around the project in, in ways that aren't actually entirely clear to me. And I think based on what I heard, not entirely clear to, to the other parties or the judge either. So the, the judge and the and the parties were skeptical of this this reasoning. They asked the city to produce documents proving that FEMA had in fact told them to do this. And the city filed a bunch of documents and the judge said, these documents don't prove anything. They were primarily meeting notes between the city and, and uh, consulting groups, but actually really nothing directly from FEMA. Just to
2: provide a little bit of context here, phase three, I'm, I'm sure most people who are listening are aware of all of this, but just in case some aren't. Phase three uh, is, is slated to be uh, you know at least a $50 million project, although the city is saying it's likely going to be more now. And FEMA, uh, it, and a, a large portion of that is going to be funded through uh, post Katrina FEMA reimbursements that are, that were put in place with the intent of, of replacing uh, two facilities, two buildings, I believe, that were destroyed from the old uh, Orleans Parish Prison complex
3: after Katrina. So, in order in order to get this FEMA funding, the city needs to complete this environmental assessment report, and part of that to my understanding, is, is sort of a historical preservation, uh, looking at the actual physical building space and, and making an assessment about that. But then another part is is um, more social and, and reaching out to community members and making sure that everyone is aware of, of what's going on. Um, so the city needs to complete that that report to get the, the FEMA money. And the kind of real big issue that, that the parties have been pushing on is that The city hasn't started the procurement process for getting a construction company to actually build the facility and they've been saying you should be able to go ahead and do that without you know having fully completed this process yet you know it's it's assumed should be assumed that that you'll be able to um that fema is going to to approve this but the city has said basically fema won't release money that they need in order to start the procurement process until they've completed this report so all this to say, at the hearing on Thursday, the judge put a firm deadline on when the city needed to complete this environmental assessment report, which was about three weeks or two weeks before the city had said it was going to complete it anyway. He said if the city doesn't complete it, then he will hold them in contempt of court.
0: All right. And so some stern words. What happens next?
3: Well, I guess we we sort of wait and see whether or not the city is able to produce this report by May uh you know, mid-May when the judge ordered it. Um, and I think it's likely that that they will. And then, the, you know, the question becomes, it, at the backdrop of all of this is, as, you know, if people have been following this note, the city does not want to build this building. And all of these negotiations and these warnings and, you know, these, these fights over who's making who do what and, and what the delays are really all about, Um, or in the context of that Uh, and so the question you know sort of becomes if if the city produces this report if the procurement process is able to move forward is there any other delay that, that that you know might come up and you know one that the judge identified as as a potential delay is there's a gap in funding between what fema is giving the city and the total cost of the building and at the hearing last week, the deputy chief administrative officer for infrastructure, Ramsey Green, was at the meeting and said, you know, we're really trying to move around money in order to find the the funding for the project, um, you know, this upwards of $10 million that, that FEMA won't cover. And the judge said, basically, you know, you better find it because if you come back and tell me that you know there's a delay because the city hasn't identified the enough funding to cover this you're, you're gonna you're gonna be in big trouble so so we'll see how you know with a massive project like this there are i think there are possibilities for delays and and to some sometimes outside of the city's control or outside of anyone's control but any any little thing at this point is going to be taken you know very seriously by, by the judge so
2: well, yeah, I mean, and, I and you can kind of understand his perspective on that, right? Because until a month ago, um, you know, this was the delays were supposedly city council's fault. Um, then the city sort of abruptly dropped that when when it became clear that the problem wasn't city council and moved on to FEMA. So it, it the judge at this point may be interpreting the city's actions as just finding any excuse they can whether or not it's
3: a reasonable excuse. Yeah, I think that's right. <clears throat> and, you know, he's basically asked for any legitimate documentation that they have for, for the claims they're making, both the prior claims about the c- needing city council approval, and then this new claim about FEMA, and has really gotten nothing that has been satisfactory to him. Uh, the city did just file more re- uh, more recently a uh, uh, more documents, one of which... Were meeting notes from uh, a meeting with FEMA representatives about two weeks ago. And within those meeting notes, there is something that says FEMA has instructed us to hold more, uh, at least one more public engagement meeting. You know, whether or not that city produced document of meeting notes is going to be satisfactory for the judge is, is a question. And frankly, I think he actually doesn't really particularly care anymore. The other question is is just when these public meetings are actually going to take place, which, you know, will likely be interesting, given the amount of um, interest in the facility and the opposition to it. The city hasn't announced any meetings, uh, hadn't planned any at the hearing, and as far as I know, has not um, mm. announced any meetings yet, but that's something that we'll look for as well.
2: Can I ask you, Nick? When did the judge say what he meant when he when he's talking about contempt charges? Are we talking about fines? Are we talking about possibly throwing the mayor or other top officials into jail? Do we know? He did not
3: specify what exactly the the punishment would be, but yeah, I mean those are those are the kind of the possibilities. I think you know, I right? Probably something. It would be more likely that we would see something like fines, but. Um, yeah I
2: mean we had a, we had a, a a few years ago in a in a, in a state case not a federal case involving um, uh, back pay for firefighters where uh, uh, former mayor mitch Landrieu was was uh briefly put under a contempt order and put under house house arrest I believe I, I can't remember the exact details but i I believe there was a, a you know sort of a quick writ done and and that was overturned by an appeals court but i can't i i can't remember exactly i don't think he actually had to serve it but he was ordered into house arrest
1: Mm.
3: interesting
1: i hear like the meetings and the the, i know cpc you know the planning commission is also involved in these approval processes but are are there you know any permitting is going to also be under the city is that a potential for roadblocks or so that
3: that was what the city had previously been saying uh you know for They'd really been saying it for years, and then, at some point, about a couple months ago, just decided that they didn't need those approval. They didn't need to go through those approval processes, as far as I can tell. They, they've totally dropped that, and I think um, are are just moving forward, you know, based on this based on this federal order without getting uh, city council approval on the zoning changes. And it's not entirely clear to me whether or not they're reading the law is not requiring zoning changes for this particular project or whether or not they are just moving forward without them. If you
2: read the current zoning, as it was amended a few years back when they were, uh, when they were doing a vote on uh, opening the temporary detention center as a temporary detention center for, for inmates with acute mental illness, they did make some changes to the original zoning that was approved in 2011. um, And it can be read and has been read by, someone, by some as already allowing a, a phase three to exist. So it's very possible that zoning is actually not an issue, but I'm not sure.
0: I'm curious what the delta is between if they had built it with all due haste back when they were first instructed to do so, and now with inflation, pandemic-related spikes and building materials all of that stuff how much this will cost the taxpayers if it's an inevitability how much yeah. more it's going That's a to great be great
2: question <laughs> <It seems laughs> well, like it. Yeah. The, the city sort of the city sort of implied that at the last hearing if i remember correctly nick but they didn't give any figures but but the 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 one of the attorneys working for the the city said you know this We've been using the figure 51 million, but this has definitely gotten more expensive. I, I assume they're talking about, um, you know, the, the, the types of price increases that 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 you're mentioning now. Um, did did they get get into any details on that, Nick?
3: They didn't get in, into any figures, but you're you're right that they said that it was going to be be much more expensive. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we we won't probably know until we start seeing, you know, the actual the actual costs. Um, and, and the judge's response was basically like, well you should have built it you know two years ago when, when I first ordered you to." So we'll see we'll see what the, what the total cost end, ends up being if uh... and I, that, that'll probably come through the procurement process too. I mean I think that when they've been on the construction contract, maybe those figures
0: will be like part of the. Hmm. Okay, thanks, Nick. Thank you. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are education reporter, Marta Jusin, criminal justice reporter, Nick Crastel, government and cultural economy reporter, Michael Isaac Stein, and Lens editor, Charles Maldonado. Hi, I'm Madeline Arufo and I'm a freelance reporter for The Lens. When you listen to this podcast or read a story at our website, you join in on the process of examining life and culture in a way that makes us all better citizens and better people. With more and more noise and information coming at us every day, it's important to have a place you can rely on for truth and balance. Please make a tax-deductible donation to support our work at our website, thelensnola.org. And thank you. Michael, Smart Cities continues to be a big topic of discussion. There've been a few developments since we discussed this uh, proposal of public Wi-Fi and the Smart Cities contract. Give us some idea of what has happened in the interim.
4: Yeah, and just to give some brief background on what we're talking about here, um, this is a project that the city has been working on for really over a year now, and it's changed over time and it will continue to change, but at its broadest level, the plan is to convince a company to come in and make you know kind of this big, multi-million-dollar investment in new internet infrastructure, which would basically do two things. First, it would provide a new internet subscription, a paid internet subscription that would compete with existing providers like Cox and AT and T. The second thing it would do, it would give the city a, a private internet network that it could kind of run all of its operations and infrastructure off of, which would then allow it to install. What's referred to as smart cities devices. So basically these are pieces of technology that replace, you know, traditional city infrastructure like street lights or traffic lights, but that have more features on them. So they'll they'll have cameras or 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 other sensors that can help collect data that might improve the city's traffic management, or it might collect data that is marketable that you could sell to an insurance company or a rideshare company or something like that. So That's at the broadest level, what we're talking about. And, and, you know, we've been reporting on this and I'd say that there are kind of a few tracks going on here. And in the way that I break it down, the first issue is whether this is a good idea for the city, whether this contract is going to be appropriate for what we need, whether it's going to be too expensive, whether we're handing over too many, you know, uh, whether we're handing over too much privacy in return. Um, so, you know, is this a good deal for the city? The second you know, kind of big track is whether um, this contract was handed out you know, legally and ethically. There have been contract fixing allegations. There have been allegations about, you know, questions about how exactly this contract was awarded to the group that eventually got it. Um, allegations that have very you know, legitimate evidence behind them and, and kind of uh, allegations that kind of continue to gain steam and then the third kind of piece of this is that you know the project as originally pitched and and still now um, will require um a multi-year contract or agreement with the city and those need approval from the city council now this is a a, you know a, a project that's being led by mayor cantrell's administration um and you've seen some you know significant skepticism at least among some council members so You know, we've been watching kind of what that dynamic is going to be, whether the council is going to get on board or not. And, you know, over the past week, we've just kind of had some pretty big updates on all three of
3: those tracks.
0: Right. So Councilwoman Helena Moreno was curious about some of the details that she was trying to get, just like we were. And because she couldn't get the answer, she actually subpoenaed the Cantrell administration. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, uh, Councilwoman Moreno has kind of been, Skeptical from this from the start. Um, And, you know, like you said, just like us has been trying to answer a lot of basic questions about this, you know, whether it be something as simple as how much is this going to cost the city on a year to year basis? That has not been made available to the public. It has not apparently been available to um, Councilwoman Moreno. And, you know, according to Councilwoman Moreno, not only have these details not been released publicly, you know, for example, there is no draft contract that's ever been released. She has been struggling to get these answers from the administration, very simple answers. And at the same time, we've seen the administration kind of putting pressure on the council to get on board with the plan to to, to pass a multi-year agreement. And meanwhile, Councilwoman Moreno is saying, well, I don't have the basic details necessary to judge whether this is a good idea or not. I don't have the contract in front of me. So how are you asking me to kind of get on board here? And, you know, again, according to her office, it's just been, you know, they had a private meeting with the administration back in December. And she says that even then, um, these top administration officials were unable to answer these kind of basic questions, unable or unwilling, one of the two. So, so uh, Moreno ended up sending a subpoena to Jonathan Rhodes, who is the director of the mayor's office of utilities, which has kind of been, um, you know, heading up this, this effort. Um, and it basically requires uh, Rhodes to hand over a wide array of documents, you know, related to the project and related to the contracting fixing allegations that I had mentioned. It also orders him to appear before the council at a meeting later this month um, where he'll have to answer questions under oath. So it's kind of a ramping up of, of what Moreno's, Mur- you know, uh, fact-seeking mission here. And it, it kind of hits on two of what we're talking about. It, it actually hits on all three points I had mentioned at the beginning. You know, she wants to know again, the basic details about the project, she's asked for details that specifically speak to the contract fixing allegations. Um, and she she's asked whether there's any draft contract, any anything that the council hasn't seen that they might eventually be, you know, asked to to pass. So yeah, that, that's all kind of be coming to the head later this month.
0: In response to the subpoena, they did release some information. It's still pretty sketchy. Yes,
4: Yeah, so so interestingly, the the information they released, you know, like I mentioned, what's imagined for this project is a multi year contract, which needs council approval. Now, it appears that perhaps because of some of the skepticism and pushback on the council, um, that the administration is now going forward with a one year agreement, um, which does not need council approval. Um, with the idea being that they can kind of jumpstart the project and, and then work over the next year to, you know, develop a long-term contract and to kind of get the public and the council on board. So the information they released, um, like you said, it wasn't fully detailed, but it is some of the, you know, most reliable information we've got about this project since, you know, it was first awarded about a year ago. And, you know, it basically lays out what it's going to be doing in that first year. And, and so from, from what I can tell, there's two kind of, there's four things that they've laid out. Two of them seem like the most concrete portions of it. The first is a plan to install new Wi-Fi equipment at 10 recreation centers, at 10 of the Nord, you know, publicly owned recreation centers. Um, that would cost $3 million to install this new equipment. And then it, uh, it will cost
2: $300,000 a year to maintain after that. No, this, this, this document just incidentally does not provide a breakdown of what how, of the math that leads to those costs, or any sort of analysis of whether those are fair costs or not.
4: Yeah, and, and as long as we're adding on, you know, I'll mention you know, one of the administration's major selling points with this whole plan is closing the digital divide. It's getting internet to people who currently can't afford a subscription, and you know, the administration has also been very clear that the goal is not just. Wi-Fi in in public spaces. They need they their aim is to get more. You know what's called like kitchen table internet, internet in your home that your kids can use for homework, that you can use whenever you want to search for a job. That that type of access. This doesn't speak directly to that. What I believe this plan is aimed at is that you know the, the broadband internet subscription service that has been um, proposed in you know in, in the kind of original plan. It runs differently than most commercial internet services. So instead of running through cables or, or fiber, um, it would be a, a Wi-Fi service built off of cellular 4G, 5G technology, which is from what I can tell, not very common and, and kind of this emerging type of technology. So my guess what they're trying to do here is test out this technology, make sure that it's reliable, that it's fast and kind of use these as, as kind of sample sites to show what what the plan kind of intends to do citywide after that. So, you know, it, it is, again, I, it, it's hard to know because they don't break down exactly what goes into this cost. It's hard to know whether $3 million is, is, you know, a reasonable price. Um, obviously internet subscriptions generally tend to be cheaper. You know, if you, it's $300,000 a year to maintain, even if we're just looking at that, which comes out to about $30,000 a year Per Nord Center, you know, I, I can safely say that that tends to be more expensive than you know the commercial services that are currently available. But at the same time, since it's limited information, um, you know, it's hard to know whether the goal here is is Wi-Fi or whether it is just trying to create, you know, again, a demonstration of this technology. So that's that's kind of the first element of of the new information they released. The second element is, you know, again, over the next year, the plan is, you know, we talked about these smart cities devices, um, and they're saying over the next year that the contractors here, free of charge, are going to do some smart cities demonstrations. Um, Now, we don't know exactly what that means, whether they're going to temporarily put up equipment or whether it's going to be certain parts of the city. But the idea is to, again, show people um, what the technology is capable of. Then there's two more parts of the plan that that it's a little bit less clear because the timelines for both of these parts of the plan are greater than a year, but they're also supposed to be included in a one-year agreement. So it's a little unclear exactly how these parts are gonna go. Um, but again, the third part of the plan is to try and you know provide affordable or even free in-home Wi-Fi. The idea here would be to offer uh, internet subscriptions that would be capped at $30 a month, which would be relatively affordable. But then the idea would be to combine that with a existing federal program that has been recently, you know, put in place that gives certain low-income households a $30 a month voucher uh, for in-home Wi-Fi. Now, there's a couple interesting things here. Number one, it's unclear who the providers of this $30 a month internet is going to be. It's unclear if it's going to be existing providers like Cox or if these contractors are going to Hmm. partially set up the new internet service that they promised to set up in the long term. It also seems like there might be a hybrid option where the contractors are running this new internet service but they're renting their infrastructure from a company like Cox or at&t it's quite confusing and i really wish we had more
2: details to clarify but I- i'm just telling you what we have can i just interject very Please. quickly i'm Please. sorry now you know may- maybe i'm being cynical here but it kind of sounds to me like this portion of the plan is essentially a public relations campaign possibly at most s- combined with some sort of an agreement, you know, some sort of a, a discount a- agreement inked with one of the major providers like Cox or AT&T, where, where it's basically the city is saying, we're going to you know, get people aware of this federal subsidy program, which is available to people to at up to 200% of the federal poverty level, I believe. We're going to have a marketing campaign to make people aware of this federal subsidy and perhaps... Um, You know, in response to getting more people signed up to existing providers, we can, we'll we'll work out some sort of an agreement for maybe some sort of a discount with Cox or AT&T or something. So it kind of sounds like just, it kind of sounds like a VR campaign to me uh, is what they're proposing there. And, you know, which if I'm right, seems like something they could just do today without getting a big new contract involved in it
1: right just what i was gonna ask this is like a this is a middleman right in my least generous
2: interpretation of this middleman would even be going too far it's more like just you know putting out um more like just putting out psa's um now that might maybe they've got something bigger in mind than that um i have i have no idea because there isn't a whole lot of information in this four-page letter
4: as long as we're being cynical you know i'll point out that like Charles is saying, I mean, this is an existing federal, I mean, getting free Wi Fi to people who can't afford it is no small thing. However, this is an existing federal program. And if you go to Cox's website right now, and you look up what the internet costs are in your area, they already have $20 and $30 plans, which you can combine with this federal program through their website. I mean, on Cox's webpage, it says, you know, if you apply, if you are eligible, we can provide you $0 a month internet. So while it's a big deal, it, it does already exist. And, and I think it gets to the larger point in kind of the larger skepticism around this plan, which is that they've sold it as we want to get in-home Wi-Fi to everyone who can't currently afford it. But are they really adding anything, any services through this plan that doesn't currently exist? And then the question becomes, well, if, if the primary motivation is not getting internet, you know, to people who can't afford it, what is it? And, and, you know, again, from the plan outside of, you know, the kind of the digital equity goals, the the other big thing, you know, the big benefit to the city here is potential new revenue. So, you know, if, if you install these new smart cities devices, it's going to, you know, again, give you data that you can sell. If you put in Wi-Fi kiosks, you're gonna, the city is gonna get a cut of the advertisements that are, uh, that, that are displayed on them. So again, you gotta think about what the city is really trying to do here, what their central motivation was, regardless of whether they're selling this as a Wi-Fi for all plan or not. Like Charles says, you know, that portion of it seems to be more like a PR campaign than anything. Now, I, you know, I'll just kind of finish this off. You know, I had mentioned there were four points um, in the information that the city released. The fourth point is that over the next year they're going to be creating a plan to install what's called institutional fiber for the city. Um, Now, this is another part of the plan. I'm not fully clear on because there just isn't that much information. But the idea here seems to be to connect all city buildings and facilities um, by a private fiber network um, that could be used by the city and then potentially private companies after that. Although, again, how that would work is very unclear. So this is all to say that they released information. It's great to have an update because we haven't had one in about a year, but it leaves a lot of questions on the table. Luckily, um, this subpoena is still out there. And, you know, again, by the end
2: of the month, we should have a lot more information uh, about what all this means. To keep in mind, this is a four page letter after a year that the city is released. The letter is shorter than the subpoena. Um, the letter, and only three of those pages contain any actual what could what could be you know, what could be called new information of any kind. So, yes, this is more information than we've gotten up to this point, but the bar is pretty low.
0: Okay. And meanwhile, a news station in Illinois uncovered a connection to the city clerk of Chicago, and there was something in that report relevant to con- to the contract rigging allegations here. Explain that
4: yeah so i'll try and do this one as quick as possible so you know at at the center of the contract fixing allegations in new orleans is this consultancy firm a chicago-based consultancy firm called ignite cities um now ignite cities its connection to new orleans now uh, its official connection to new orleans is as a quote-unquote pro bono consultant um who helped develop the smart cities project who even helped write the open bid documents um, that, that were kind of released in order to, to land on a contractor for this project. Now, where it gets tricky is that Ignite Cities is partners with the two firms that are leading the, the business consortium that eventually won that open bid. Right. Um, now, they're not listed as an official member um, of that consortium, but, you know, a year before the contract w- was let out i mean ignite cities very openly said we have a partnership with these two companies and if you look at what the partnership is the partnership described is kind of exactly what happened in new orleans the, the role that ignite cities is supposed to play is to create connections with city officials to help steer them and, and, and steer them towards this new technology and and kind of formulate projects from the inside that can be fulfilled by these two other partners. So, you know, it kind of fits the bill of explicitly what they're trying to do. The new reporting out of Chicago shows that one of kind of the, the, the top executives at, at Ignite Cities is married to the Chicago city clerk. Um, and they obtained emails that show that this executive, uh, you kind of pressured his wife and, and, and asked his wife to promote projects that Ignite Cities was working on. Um, And that even includes that that city clerk uh, connecting Ignite Cities to officials in New Orleans. So she kind of facilitated an introduction and said, you know, we'd love to talk to you about what we're doing here. We know Ignite Cities is working with you to do something down there. So, you know, kind of, again, helping facilitate these relationships. Now, you know, I I think on the the one hand, it shows kind of how Ignite Cities does business. Again, like they're... Their bread and butter is making connections to government officials and kind of getting that inside track. That's that's what they do. The other big thing is that we now know that this top executive at Ignite Cities is a paid lobbyist for a company called Ike Smart City, which makes these kind of Wi-Fi kiosks, you know, that are often part of smart City's plan. Now, the reason why that's significant is because Ike smart city is listed as a partner on the new Orleans plan. And why that's significant is because in response to the contract fixing allegations, the city has kind of stuck to this line of, well, they're not part of the group officially, and we are not aware of any financial incentive that they have to get this project done. That's always been a little unclear to me because the city has not, ever suggested or or explained why a for-profit company would be giving them free advice on a project that they had no financial stake in. Um, But now we know that at least one of these, you know, high ranking Ignite Cities executives does have an explicit financial stake in this project because one of his clients does stand to gain. So it would seem to cancel out the city's argument here. However, you know, when we asked hey look look at this lobbying contract does that kind of change how the city views these contract fixing allegations they stuck with their same line which is that you know we are not
2: aware of any financial incentives that ignite cities has yeah this was just frustrating to me to read because i mean you're presenting them new and and that maybe maybe they were aware of, maybe they weren't, but it's new it's new information as far as your reporting process is concerned. And they they literally just gave the exact same line. Uh, they yeah. just you know they didn't say let it, let's go check on it. We'll get back to you. They said we're not aware of any financial relationship.
4: Right, which again is frustrating because I had just presented evidence that there was a financial incentive for Ignite Cities. You know, it's, it was yeah again a little frustrating uh, of a response.
2: Yeah, and and so the reason this is relevant, uh, you know, as Michael mentioned, we already knew there was this announced partnership between Ignite Cities, it's two years old, a two-year-old partnership between Ignite Cities and Qualcomm and JLC, which are also part of Smart and Connected NOLA, um, which is the contractor that won this bid, but... We never knew what partnership meant. I mean, you know, it, it generally when you hear there's a business partnership, you assume that there's a financial component to that. But we didn't really know. We had no evidence to say that you know he 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 did have any financial interest in it, uh, or they did have any financial interest in it. Now, you know, we can we can just go on the Illinois Secretary of State website and see one of these guys is a paid lobbyist from someone who stands to gain from this smart cities contract with the city of new orleans so i i mean i i i certainly hope that the city will will address that issue at some point i i suspect that if the city doesn't do so voluntarily um, that the council is going to be asking a lot of questions about it in the next couple of weeks, but we'll see.
0: The council and Michael are slowly pulling on this big giant ball of yarn, and you just keep pulling on the thread. And we appreciate your efforts. So thank you. Thank you. Alright, everybody. Thank you so much for your time this week. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guests this week education reporter Marta Juson, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastel, government and cultural economy reporter Michael Isaac Stein, and lens editor Charles Maldonado. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.